It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, oh Welcome to TV Break, the Pop Break's monthly TV podcast. I'm your host, Alex, uh, the, the TV editor for PopBreak.com, and we're joined, as always, with our editor-in-chief, Bill, and our TV uh, columnist, Josh. How are you guys doing today? Very good. I feel very remembered. I feel very welcome. Yes, uh, I'm glad my name was not forgotten this time. <laughs> Uh, this oh is, uh, man! This, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a trying month since last we saw you guys, or since last you heard from us, uh, and it seems like it's only going to get worse uh, as the global events continue to conspire against us. Uh, so we thought that we would bring you some fun TV talk to take your mind off of things. Uh, today we're going to go into the best thing that we saw on TV last month. Uh, we're going to do our news segment, which is uh, going to be a little bit heavy on uh, coronavirus content. Um, and then we're going to say who won the month in streaming. This is really big month for streaming, uh, as most people are aware. So that'll be a fun topic to get into. And finally, we're going to end with a segment, our, our regular uh, new series spotlight, this time talking about uh, FX on Hulu's uh, Devs, which is a Gar- Alex Garland original uh, series. So exciting stuff to get into. Um, but to kick us off, I'm going to start with Josh, my favorite TV columnist. <laughs> what is the best thing you've seen on TV this past month? Aren't I the only TV columnist? Well, but you're my favorite. Hush, oh, well, well, hush well, your thanks, butt. Alex. That is a lot. Um, so (laughs) my favorite thing from this last month has been the season seven of Clone Wars. uh, Oh, nice. The the old Star Wars cartoon um, that originally aired on Cartoon Network, got canceled, got brought back on Netflix, got canceled again, and then is finally brought back for a final, definitive, really final season on Disney Plus. And I have really enjoyed it so far. It is for Star Wars fans, it one it, it really scratches that itch if you've missed Mandalorian and are really looking for some Star Wars content. Um, and it also it it makes the lesser movies, the the prequels, into something actually enjoyable, which is a miracle that that can even be said. Um, it's just it's it feels like it never left. It's a really good return to form, and I've really enjoyed seeing these characters that I haven't really spent time with in a while. Josh, can I ask you a question about that? Cause this is a show I've like, I like, I saw it on Disney plus like the, the trailer and I was like, Ooh, now it's, but it's season seven. Like how long are these episodes? And listen, I know we're all, most of us are, you know, staying at home these days, but I also still have to work nine to five. Like how long are the seasons? Like, can I burn through this pretty quickly? Cause it does look like a super interesting show. The episodes are pretty short. They're only like 20 minutes long. Um, if you wanted to watch everything, it would take a while. There's over 120 episodes as of now. Um, but the way oh they my. built up this, yeah, the way they built up this new season though, is 
you don't necessarily have to know everything going in. Um, they try to catch you up to speed with some of the more important things, but some of it is kind of just, it's, it's nice if you know it, but if you don't, it's not going to take away your enjoyment of it. Oh, cool. Huh? And, yeah, and so, so they're dropping it weekly, right? Yep. Just like they with Mandalorian every Friday. Awesome. Yeah, I know I've heard a lot of really great things about the series over the year. Uh, for some reason, like one thing that I have heard, though, is that it's a series that really grows over time. Like it has kind of humble beginnings where like maybe the first season or so isn't as strong. And that's always kept me away from it because it just is like such a huge time commitment. And to know that like the first maybe like, you know, like the first full season of episodes aren't really the best is makes it a, a little bit of a barrier of entry, but I've heard really good things about this final season. So that's yeah. really, and I can't believe like, it's like that the development cycle to get this to air is just really incredible. The way that it was like, it was coming and then it's not, and then it's going to be on Netflix and then it's going to be on Disney plus, And it just seemed like it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. So I'm really yeah. happy for you guys who are fans of like all of the fans out there of the show to like that they're actually getting it after all these years. Yeah, it had such a weird course to being made. Because it, it got to the point where the creator of the series um, released the storyboards and other um, storylines he had planned in the form of like books and comics and um, just like literally had like DVD features of what he was going to do because he never thought he'd actually get the chance. And now Disney came back and said, well, actually, how about you do make those after all? So <laughs> it, for those people that really dove into what he released, there's not much in the way of surprises. But for those of us who didn't really look for that, um, you know, it's still really exciting and not really well made. And like I said, really, the big thing is just going back to those characters. So as much as I would say, I agree that the first season is not as strong as the rest. Uh, it is somewhat important to start there just to get to know some of the characters, um, especially Ahsoka. She's really the only she and a few of the clones are the only ones that were introduced in the show and not from the, the movies. And so if you just know the movies going in, you may not have a really good understanding of why you should care about these characters and she just got, and she just yeah, got announced there was just news yeah there was just news today or this past the last couple of days that she will be a character portrayed by uh rosario dawson in season two of uh the mandalorian live action so it yeah. seems like this is a good uh way to cut to prepare for her appearance there as well definitely and rosario dawson i think is a phenomenal casting choice for that um ahsoka also appeared in a later Star Wars animated series. Um, Rebels? And Rebels, yes. Yeah. And so the, this, um, and so it's Dave Fellini who did all of these animated shows and then did Mandalorian. So he is just trying his best to bring this character into everything. So, um, yeah, if you want to be prepared for her appearance on Mandalorian, this is a good place to start. And they just cool. announced uh, Robert Rodriguez is uh, going to be directing a handful of uh, Mandalorian episodes too. Or has oh, wow, directed. That's, that's very exciting. Yeah, nice. He could do a lot with this small budget, so that's pretty cool to see him get that opportunity. Absolutely. But, all right, Bill, how about you? What is the best thing you've seen on TV this past month? Well, um, I have a big and a small one, and since I run the side, I guess I could cheat slightly. I'm going to give the small <laughs> one a, a just a quick, a quick shout-out, because I only have seen one episode. Uh, it's called Year of the Rabbit. It's currently it's a British series uh, that's currently on... Um, 
uh, IFC. It's currently on a first run. It actually is a year old. It premiered on Channel Four in the um, in, in the UK, and basically, it's kind of a parody. Well, maybe not even a parody, but like kind of a fourth wall breaking, wink and a nod to all these kind of high gloss, like I don't want to say Victorian era, but like you know, retro crime thrillers that we've seen that have become so popular, like a, a Peaky Blinders or Ripper Street, uh, that are like. There are period pieces, but they have, like, the modern music, and it's very foul-mouthed, it's very violent and sexualized, it's, you know, very hard R stuff, and this is more of a, a very tongue-in-cheek approach to it. So, one, if you like dry British humor, definitely something you should be checking out. Um, and it's also, but also, if you like those type of shows, it still kind of appeals to that uh, facet of it. So, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited by it. Um, I think they said some people who were involved in it, like with Veep, uh, helped with some of the production on this. So it's definitely a very cool series. Like I said, currently airing on IFC. There's about six episodes. I think they're about three or four in. So it's on demand, super easy, like 20 minute episodes. So you can you can blow through those pretty quickly. Um, also, and um, but the big one I want to talk about is the season three premiere of Westworld which I reviewed on the site. And um, Alex, you had the, uh, you know, <laughs> you had the pleasure slash curse slash uh, I salute you, sir, of uh, binging season two in basically 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I and think it was like 24 hours, basically. <laughs> Josh and I and Kat and I believe maybe a few other people did a podcast reviewing the, uh, talking about that finale of season two. And Josh, I know we both were like, kind of like Bernard in season two. Yes, just kind of bewildered, mouth agape, and saying, "I don't, I don't understand," because it was, <laughs> and that was my big uh, worry going into season three was like, are we just going to get a lot of vagueness that leads up to this bit, all these twists and turns, and then at the end they're like, "Oh, you meet? What do you mean? You didn't get the point? Like it's so obvious," and you're sitting there like. No, I, I didn't get the point. Um, but I really <laughs> love that they took season three is in this kind of very bright and sanitized Blade Runner-esque futurescape. Um, and we're, we're out of Westworld proper. I think the season, of course, episode two is going to go. Uh, Bernard is going to head back there, which is not a spoiler. That was in the trailer. Um, and I liked how we're kind of seeing Dolores as not just kind of the Terminator she was in season two, where she was just like, I'm going to kill everybody where she is now this mastermind and she's put moving chess pieces for her revolution. And, uh, I thought, I think the set work is beautiful in this. Um, I think the stories are told pretty, uh, as far as I, I, I'm concerned, pretty straightforward. And I was really, uh, really happy with the addition of Aaron Paul because, and that was another question I had because you take a guy who is so known for an iconic role in an iconic series in Breaking Bad and you move him to a series that has a very established cast, a very established fan base and very established mythos. And then like, um, you're plopping him into it and that doesn't always work, but I think his way, he gives a very lived in performance that really worked with the show and uh i'm excited to see where this season is going to take us and i'm also very excited that we got to see um 
like in small rows, uh, Emmy winner Lena Waithe. And a former NFL running back, Marshawn Lynch, is kind of like Aaron Paul's like running buddies. So I'm like, I'm interested to see how they fit into everything. We're going to get Maeve a little bit more in episode two. Um, I want to see a little more what we're going with Tessa Thompson, too. I think I'm very happy with the way season three uh, started out. Alex, I know you watched it. Yes, I did. And I so for people who don't know, um, and that would be most people, because uh, why would you? Um, <laughs> I watched the original, like the very first season uh, when it aired, and I was pretty mixed to negative on the show. I thought that it had some good ideas, but I didn't love the mystery box quality to it. And I thought that they spent too much time like developing these like intricate plot webs and not enough time on like the very compelling characters that they had uh, mm-hmm. where like these actors were giving really strong performances, but to basically no end. And then it just like season one, uh, just like weirdly turns into a slasher movie in the last few episodes where it oh, just God. feels like they're just like, they just threw up their hands. They're like, what if he just kills everybody? It's like, cool. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like I was very disappointed by season one. And so I decided to just skip season two. And for a long time, I felt very vindicated in that as all of my friends and all the people I follow online we're watching season two as it aired and being tearing their hair out and being frustrated i was like aha see i'm better than you i just chose not to watch it and i regret nothing but then (laughs) they started airing these these trailers for season three of westworld which i i think were very telling in the fact that they would seem like they were for this brand new cool sci-fi show that hbo was airing and then at the very end they were like and it's westworld and you're like what so that really intrigued me and the fact that aaron paul was joining as like a main protagonist really excited me because i love him from breaking bad and i'm a big fan of his and he's had a hard time finding projects that really accentuate what he's good at outside of breaking bad like i don't know if you guys watched the path which was on uh hulu for a number of years but that's Um, a really rough show that doesn't know what's interesting about him as an actor i also Uh, i also skipped need for speed yeah well (laughs) you and everyone else who's above 14 uh that was not a successful film but yeah so i was excited that he's getting this chance to do something interesting again and so i kind of bit the bullet and since i'm home and not very busy decided to just pound through the second season of westworld this week uh and what I was surprised about that second season was that the all of the stuff in Shogun World, which I thought was going to be this like pointless divergent that would be really annoying, uh, actually I loved and I thought was tremendous and probably the best part of the season. Um, and I thought that like Tandy Newton was giving just an all time great performance. And I thought some of the other characters were doing good work. Like, you know, I mean, when you have Tessa Thompson on your TV show, how is your TV show bad? You know, that's like a failure on everyone else at that point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I ultimately thought that season two just kind of amounted to a tangled mess of nothing. And, uh, (laughs) so I was just very glad to just be able to just start out episode one of season three and see oh they pretty much ditched almost everything and just kept this few pieces that are really interesting um i thought that season two really betrayed the doris uh character completely like evan rachel wood had nothing to do that entire season they decided to they decided to basically like give her a plot that could have been resolved in like two episodes and just drag it across the full the full season and she had no real like note of like her whole thing was just like, everyone's going to die and I don't care because I'm a robot. Like, what? Like, it was really bad. So here she actually has 
some characterization again. She has a cause that she's committed to that feels real and not just like this crazy sort of like mass shooting situation in every episode. And she also has an interesting level of compassion that she didn't in the last season. There's more texture to her rage and her her planning. And she's not actively trying to kill everybody she finds. She's like you said, she's a mess. Like she has a plan. She has a she's a master manipulator. She is only killing people who are attacking her, which is an interesting thing that they like really put uh, like a, a spotlight on in the episode. And she shows compassion to the guy's girlfriend in the opening sequence, which, by the way, that opening sequence, I thought oh, was so good. Very good. Maybe one of the best things the show's done, honestly. And it's because it's just so simple and clear and it tells a concise story. Um, and as of right now, I agree, things seem a lot less complicated and a lot more straightforward, but this being Westworld, uh, seeing is often not to be believed. So I would caution you in your assumptions that everything is as straightforward as it seems right now. Oh, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, well... I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that like, oh, actually, uh, what we're seeing with Bernard is actually from before Westworld even started. And, uh, you know, <laughs> some crazy nonsense like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, cautiously optimistic about this new direction. Uh, and I, and you talk about all of the cool, like, uh, people who were on the show and this episode that we haven't seen before. Uh, people like, uh, uh, like you said, like there's, well, there's Kid Cudi who plays Aaron Paul's best friend. I'm really, that, see, that's the one storyline I'm very intrigued to see. Cause like they, that's the one they haven't given us a lot on yet. Like, <laughs> We we know what happens with that character. I don't want to spoil too much for Josh because he hasn't seen it. Yeah, um, appreciate it. But like, there's more to that story, and I want to I want to follow that. And Kid Cudi was really good. I thought he I thought he was like in those small moments. I'm like, wow, like he, he he's pretty good because I don't think I've really seen him act in anything else before. I'm sure. No, he I has. thought that I had seen him in things, and then when I looked him up on IMDb, it turns out that no, he really hasn't done very much outside of this. So. And I do agree. I think he brought like a good presence. Uh, it was mostly like kind of a voiceover uh, role, weirdly. But um, what he what he was in, I thought he was good. Um, also, it was like cool to see that like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy's Mantis, uh, aka Palm Clementif, yeah, was I, on this show. Like that was, was a big surprise. But who was, was like, she? Because I didn't. I've I've dropped off Marvel in a little bit. Well, who was she, which character was she in Westworld? Oh, she is like the she, well. Her character name on the on IMDb is Martell. Yeah, she was like one of the. She was the person who was kind of threatening one of the business people, and by saying like we're yeah. gonna like cut you up and kill your children or whatever. Oh, that, that was what we say. that was Dolores. Wasn't that Dolores's uh, um, boyfriend, like, for lack of a better term? Quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. And she was just basically like threatening him. Oh, okay. Um, I knew she looked super familiar. Yeah. I just couldn't put two or two. And then I in a very, very random cameo for one that's like way over but probably both of you guys don't remember. Uh when uh Russell Wong was in this, Russell Wong was uh he was one of he was one of the businessmen who like objected to Tessa Thompson in the boardroom. Oh, uh, okay. Russell Wong was on a show when pre WB, like even before like when that when those companies were test piloting like can we do original series on like the what was the channel 11s basically in the new york greater new york area he was on a show called vanishing sun and so i remember watching that and i was so for me i popped a little bit for that i'm like oh man i remember him from 25 years ago that's great 
Well, and I I would see. I thought that I had the most obscure, uh, exciting cameo, but I guess you beat me. Mine was going to be uh, the mean the mean manager from A Star Is Born, uh, Rafi Gavron. <laughs> yeah. Who, was just in the series board. He was just mean manager. I think he only got the name Rafi, which is his actual name, which is super weird. Uh, but yeah, he popped up for a minute to be like, "Are we even real? Like, is this all just a simulation?" So I was like, "Oh crap, it's him!" And <laughs> yeah, I, I liked him. I then, of course, but I mean, they, that, this cast is stacked. I mean, uh, Tommy Flanagan, who uh, you know, he he played um, he was the, the the heavy the guy. Uh, he was uh, he was in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Uh, and he was in there. Thomas Kreutzmann, who was in the beginning, who Dolores, yes. in, in, he was in King Kong. He was in Wanted. Um, yeah. So you get, John Gallagher Jr. Yep. is a personal fave of mine. I love him and everything that he does, even when he's in some pretty bad things like the newsroom, for instance. <laughs> but he was also in something great. Or at least I think it's great. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes. Yeah. He's very good in that. Um so he was j- recently, last year, like this past fall, he was on in Modern Love, the AMC, uh, the uh, Amazon uh, uh, that, anthology that, series. That very ambitious that, anthology series that that nobody uh, knows cared. exists. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Josh, so, yeah. what we're saying is, you should watch the episode. You know, I'm I'm starting to pick that up. It, it sounds like it. My, There's my biggest... a lot to be interested in. It's just like yeah. I remain cautious. Oh yeah, dude. I'm I'm waiting. I'm be. waiting for this whole thing to actually be told, and it's always and it's actually just a teardrop from Anthony Hopkins' eye or something like that. Like it's like going to be something <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, my biggest concern going was that it would just feel like a completely different show this season. And hearing what you two have to say about it doesn't necessarily you know, make me lose those concerns, but it doesn't sound like it's a problem. It's not no, like, a, it's I not think a, that, like what yeah, I think is, is that it kind of salvaged all of the interesting pieces of Westworld and brought it into a whole different landscape of telling a story. And I think that that is ultimately a very good creative choice because they really, I think they did all they possibly could in Westworld um, by the end of season two. And so I think like they rightfully identified the most interesting characters and decided to build basically a new show around those characters with like similar ideas. And I think that that's a that's a good choice. And they didn't lose any of the like Dolores's revolution. Like they didn't lose that. Like that's still there, and it's still gonna like those couple those threads remaining. Like Alex was saying, they, they salvaged those things. So it's not gonna be like oh this is a hard reboot on the show. This is more of a natural. I guess pun intended when I say this evolution of the show. <laughs> yes, and it looks you guys have convinced amazing. me. It looks so good. the The way that they get locations for the show is just incredible. I, they I have, literally are touring the globe, and like they're literally like on the in the narrative they're touring the globe, and in reality they are touring the globe and finding it, the these locations. S- the set work and cinematography in the, in this first episode are beautiful. I think I, I really yeah. really love it. I mean. This episode coming up, like I said, everything can be told from the, the pr- perspective of a, of a half-dead fly. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Um, so uh, as for me, the best thing that I saw this month on uh, TV is a miniseries that is just getting started uh, called The Plot Against America. That airs Mondays on HBO. Uh, it's created by Ed Burns and David Simon, who may, oh, you yes. might know as the creators of The Wire and uh, a miniseries that I loved from a number of years ago called Show Me uh, Show Me a Hero, starring Oscar Isaac. It's so good. That What these guys do great is just like, 
drilling into the gritty like reality and processy stuff that uh, involves like governmental issues and just like eat like individual people's lives like they get these people care about the details tremendously and they try to bring that on screen and i think they are, did a great job adapting this philip roth novel uh about a sort of alternate reality where uh, Charles Lindbergh um, decides to run for president and challenge uh, FDR in the mid thirties when it seems like the country's on the brink of war. Um, and we see that story from the perspective of a, um, I believe Newark, uh, Newark middle-class suburban Jewish family um, or like well, and like quasi suburban. It's kind of like outer borough. If, if you're from the New York area, you know what that means. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it's just and it's about the rise of anti-Semitism and the way that that is like kind of bubbling under the surface in America and how it just takes one charismatic populist leader to unleash it onto the masses and Stop how does that me impact? if you've heard that before. So that yeah. sounds somewhat familiar. It, a little bit, right? Like, I don't know what you're but, thinking. But, but, for, yeah. but for anyone who's hearing this and is starting to get all, their hats all starting to get red real quick, this book was written in 2004. Right. So this was not a direct, like, I'm going to write this in response to the current president. No, this, this was a 2004 novel. But, man, yes. does it really just resonate. It's very prescient in the way that it talks about this rise and the undercurrents of uh, hatred and bigotry in our society. Um, and it really speaks to the fact that this is just an ever-present uh, sort of situation because what he's talking about on the ground in 1930s uh, Newark is something that is also like very easy to see in today as well. And it's just, that's really, it's scary to see the parallels um, as they've presented. But what's really nice is that unlike a show like last year's uh, HBO miniseries years and years, which was this sort of like, uh, like future set, kind of uh, story where like it starts out in present day and it zooms through like 20 years and it's just like oh here's what happens as the society crumbles in response to the fears of the future that we have was that um, oh yeah it was emma thompson or Kinnear. yeah yeah emma thompson it was a very, it was it was set in in london and it was like you know like in oh, and basically like every bad thing that could have that could potentially happen to our world in the next 20 years happened to these people and it's like very kind of it's trying to be topical, but it's also very didactic and histrionic and, the, and melodramatic in the way that it's trying to present all of these issues. Oh, God. It uh, was so over the and, top. <laughs> and what's nice about the plot against America is that it's not any of those things at all. It's really grounded in a specific place, in a specific time, in a specific family. And you really feel that. And it just takes its time. Like you think that, oh, it's about the rise of of Charles Lindbergh becoming president, right? So that's probably going to happen with at, by the end of the first episode. Like, no, it doesn't. Like, this series is, I think, about seven episodes long. I've had the, the privilege to see all of it uh, because I'm going to be uh, writing about it at the end of this season, uh, probably sometime next month. Uh, you'll see that on the on our uh, on our website. And uh, I've so I've seen the whole thing, and it's just incredibly well paced. And it really takes its time to develop its characters and really exploit what what 
is a tremendously talented cast and it really makes you feel like this is real and this could happen. And if it were to happen, this is how it would happen. And it wouldn't be with this huge kind of bombastic over the top uh, situation. It would be with this like slowly moving the goalpost on what's acceptable and slowly injecting more and more things that maybe two episodes ago would have seemed crazy, but now we've slowly moved into a place where it feels normal and not objectionable. And the people who are objecting to it are like, no, you're being over the, like you're being too, you're the one who's being melodramatic. Like we're being normal and grounded. And just the way that it shows that process is so it's extremely relatable to the times that we currently live in. Cause if you think about what the world was like five years ago, Versus now, it's just a series of moments of goalposts being moved and things that seemed impossible becoming like totally normal, um, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, and at the end of the day, it also has just a tremendously talented cast. Like I said, um, it's led by a couple of people that I actually was not that familiar with. Interestingly enough, this is probably like the most that I've seen of them uh previous to that like i've seen them do like some small things here or there but not really like any major role and i think that they really you know uh step up to the plate in a big way and that's the husband the main husband and wife uh zoe kazan and morgan specter uh zoe kazan a lot of people probably would know as the girlfriend in uh, the big sick uh that that movie of course she is unconscious for most of so it's not like the best showcase of her as an actress <laughs> but this movie i think uh, this miniseries i should say is a tremendous showcase for her she really steps to the plate in a big way and kind of goes toe-to-toe with a lot of juggernauts and really delivers in some pretty powerful and upsetting moments um, uh, also zoe kazan for any of uh, the name strikes familiar for old school film fans she is the granddaughter of Ilya kazan the director and producer yeah, so Hollywood royalty. Oh. <laughs> but uh, she's and she's also married, married to, to, to Paul Dano, yep. which is pretty cool. Um, and she's a, in addition to being an actress, she's also a writer. She's written plays and, and screenplays. So she's really talented. And I think this is the best showcase she's gotten in her entire career. Honestly, it just really blew me away what she was capable of. And Morgan Spector is someone who I really have never even seen before. And he does such a great job being this person who's just like really cares and really passionate about what's going on in the world and just sees the, the, the place that his family had in this society slowly slipping away and he refuses to run. He wants to stand his ground and it really explores the, the tragedy of that in a lot of ways and also the inspiration. Um, and then of course you have Winona Ryder who plays uh, Zoe Kazan's sister, who is just doing really a lot of good work. She's of course a little bit bigger and broader than uh, some of the other cast members, but she plays a character where that it feels very fitting. And uh, she gets to share a lot of scenes with uh, John Turturro who plays this, uh, rabbi who is in the inner circle of Charles Lindbergh and that character and the two of them together and their arc as they travel through this is just really, really compelling to see the way that they just kind of rationalize and self-justify and just uh, talk themselves into this like narrative that what is real isn't and what they're doing is. And it just, it's really, it's really interesting. And I think it's very insightful about how a lot of, um, how a lot of minority figureheads are used by like political movements who don't particularly like those minorities. And it's very interesting. And it's also very insightful about how a lot of 
uh, people are willing to kind of go against their immediate interests because they've talked themselves into thinking something that isn't actually true. And eventually what becomes of them is pretty telling as well. But I think that the biggest star, and there's also a couple of kids in in the show that do a pretty good job. Notably, the kid from Marriage Story is, is the younger son, and he 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 honestly is a much better actor on here than he is in Marriage Story. I have to give him credit for that. <laughs> um, and his best friend on the show is this kid who was in um, the John Mulaney's Sack Lunch Bunch, uh, who really made an impression there, and he's just as good here as a particularly kind of awkward, nerdy uh boy um but i think that the breakout star is anthony boyle who plays uh the kind of the younger brother cousin sort of character he's he is just tremendous he's mostly known for his stage work he he uh helped he was one of the leads in harry potter and the cursed childs when it opened in broadway and uh, i think this is like one of his most significant screen roles um since coming out as an actor and he just blows away every person that he shares screen with in like the best way possible he plays this character who uh is has a chip on his shoulder about being jewish and about being uh underappreciated and he's not afraid to stand up for himself and he just goes through so much and it's definitely the most uh showy of the parts but he nails it completely because he just has such a in- such a compelling charisma and such a relatable quality to him that you just instantly care about him and want to root for him. And he, that carries through the whole series. So he's really tremendous as well. I think he's the best find of the series, but yeah, I mean, I'm talking up of <laughs> so much because this show really, really blew me away. Um, I know Bill, you've seen the first episode. Yes. Correct? Uh, yeah. And Ooh. wow, that's, this is uh it's an intense watch, especially given our current times. Uh, but it's such a good watch. It, it really reminds you, like, if you guys ever watched The Wire, it, it, it's it's one of those things where, like, it, it hits you with such a current topical immediacy. And, like, there's a message to be told in this story. But it, it's also, at the same time, very entertaining drama. And it, yes. that's which is a very hard balance to walk a lot of the times because it's either, like, the message gets lost because they're just trying to be showy and dramatic or it's message, message, message. And like the entertainment factor or the drama factor is lost. So this walks a very good line. I like you was very impressed with Anthony Boyle fellow, you know, he's an Irishman. So I was very surprised how like spot on he was with that quasi North Jersey accent. And uh, (laughs) I was really impressed with uh, Morgan Spector. I really feel like he's, he and Zoe Kazan are really like there's like you've seen in the trailer, like this was just the amuse bouche of the the very small taste of, I think greatness we're gonna see from both of them, the both yeah. working together individually. Like I thought Spectre, like like I felt like he was ripped out of any black and white photo of anyone's grandparent ever, like <laughs> that that grandpa, you know. Let me tell you about my dad back, you know, living in Newark in the forties. You know what I mean? It's it just seems like such like. You're almost watching a documentary, when, at least for me, when I'm watching him do that. And uh, and Winona Ryder, it, it's so funny. Like she didn't have a huge role in this, but she was this great like um, compliment to everyone. Instead of being yeah. like, instead of being like, I'm 
it's Winona Ryder. You know, she's the lead. She almost takes that Totoro role that he's become so great for of just being this excellent compliment to the main cast. Um, and yeah, I love that. Like you said, the slow goalpost moving is so good because you know, this thing is going to blow up and it's going to blow up huge because if you've watched the trailer, you see kind of like this gets very explosive and like we saw this in real, real time, you know, happening here at the slow goalposting of an explosion of what we're in today. And it holds true then. And yeah, it, like I said, it, 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 it's a very, very good watch, especially if you're a history buff too, like, cause it, it takes you back, you know, but, um, it's, it's a very intriguing story and the performances are just oof, so good. And, um, it, and if anyone hasn't seen the wire, I just have to say, just change change your life. Go see the go watch the wire. Especially if you have to stay if you have to stay inside, man. Those first two to three seasons will they will go by like that, and you will thank me. And you will see so many people from so many shows, whether it's The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, that it's, they 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 got their big breakout here. In yeah, the wire. I mean, well, The Wire is one of the top five film uh, TV shows ever made uh oh, that's not yeah. me saying that that's just like critical consensus <laughs> that's as i point to, to the true. world <laughs> <laughs> so i just yeah i mean anybody who hasn't seen that should definitely watch that so but, josh um, have you don't seen? have the time to, to do I, that yeah <laughs> I, would I would say need to get watching on once once a week the plot against america is a good place to start with david simon's work <laughs> absolutely well i would say for this being a feel-good episode you sure pick the most downer show imaginable <laughs> I, it, you know, it's it's weirdly cathartic, honestly. It's like it's some like terrible a... things happening, and yet these people are standing and trying to hold on to their integrity and their humanity. And it's really, it's really moving, and it's really inspiring, even while being truly very honest about the stakes and what those people are actually up against. And it, it also they don't has... get the Hollywood treatment, and it's and that makes it that much better and more fulfilling when it, you see it it doesn't get the hollywood treatment but it also like i was saying before it also is a good it tells it really well like there is suspense there is drama it's not just through you know an hour of just crushing heavy like no. this okay. is told really well and you'll be like i was also like of that i'm just like oh my god with everything going on how can i watch this show i'm like all right i'm just gonna do it you know and then i got into it i'm like wow that was powerful and that was excellent <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, that's the best thing that we've seen on TV this month. Um, we're going to move on now to our news segment. And usually I tie this to a specific article, but there's been so much news and it's all basically the same. So instead, I had a little bit of a, I had, a, I had an idea that we can maybe follow and said, uh, basically, the news is coronavirus has hit, everything is shut down. Uh, lots of uh, TV shows are being uh, are having their production wrapped early. A lot of the network shows are not being able to record their like their like last two or three episodes of their seasons. Uh, it's really causing a lot of chaos in the in the um, in the World. pilot season as well because a lot of these shows were just about to start all of the new shows that the networks order and then they 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 order they they uh, cast the pilots they shoot the pilot which is if 
people don't know. Just like the first episode of a new show that gives everybody an, an idea of like what the show could be, right? So networks will order one episode. They'll they'll shoot it usually in the springtime, and then before May, when they have the network upfronts, they will decide, okay, we want these shows, we don't want these shows. Well, the problem is with production shutting down. All of those shows are uh, not allowed to shoot those pilots. And so now there's not going to be any time to decide what shows you want to start to pick up for next season or not. So it's it's really causing a tremendous amount of chaos, which I don't think people really understand the full implications of how much it's going to affect not just the next month or two. But for a TV perspective, it's going to really affect the next six months of uh, of the TV schedule. Um, but. Right now, that's not really a concern for anybody because everybody has access to streaming, right? So everybody <laughs> is just with all of this free time on everyone's hands. Uh, they're watching some uh, network TV, some live television. Those numbers have gone up a bit in recent in the last week or two with everybody home. But really, everybody is uh, hungering down and watching things that they didn't think they'd ever get around to seeing. So instead of talking about all the sad, depressing news about how Hollywood is shutting down and may never recover, I wanted to ask you guys, what is a fun binge that you have started since uh, all of this has started? Uh, so, Bill, how about you? Um, have you started a new show that you wanted to catch up with or finally gotten around to something? Like, How are you spending your free time, which I know is not as free as mine, unfortunately? <laughs> yeah. I actually have, and I'm surprised. I have caught up on a lot of TV recently. Um, I, um, I, sorry, I blanked out for a second, but uh, I have start, restarted a series that I had started a few years ago. I'd say two years ago, and I have to be very upfront about this show too. So it's an animated series on Netflix called Hilda, and I have to be very upfront about it because two of my best friends work on the show. They both work in production, and they both help win an Emmy. So I was like, oh, I'm a terrible friend. I never finished watching this show. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's what I've. That's kind of what I went back to watching and uh, like removing myself from the fact two of my closest friends made this show um, is that it's a really fun, light, adventurous animated series that you could put on with a child. But what like I'm doing is watching it myself. Um, and it's, uh, it's based off a graphic novel, um, same title, Hilda by Luke Pearson. And it's about this young girl named Hilda who has a, little dog who's a half fox half deer and they move from the country to the city and she has two friends and they go on all, go on all these adventures um it, the voice of hilda is bella ramsey who we all know played um lady mormont in game of thrones one of everyone's favorite characters ah. she is just as delightful as she was in game of thrones she's not stabbing big things in this one she's more like someone who's like the balance between the fairy tale world of trolls and elves and monsters and dragons and the real world. So she's trying to adapt to being a girl in a city while also, you know, you know, trying to introduce the city to the adventure of nature. And it, it's a really fun, like it's a 20 minute episode, you know, runtime per episode, about 10 to 12 episodes. It's a hell of a lot of fun. It is like a fanciful fantasy adventure that just kind of elevates you from the heavy of reality. 
And, um, you know, I was, and I even told my friends when I watched it, I'm like, listen, I'm going to this open mind. You know, I'm, a, you know, I review things for the last 20 years. So I'm going to tell you if this sucks or not. And I, it, it was, it's really good. So I have to highly recommend that. I've been watching that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a nice binge to help take your mind off of everything. Cause it helps you kind of, I don't know, kind of go back to being a kid again when you used to like draw, at least me draw stuff in like notebooks and stuff and come up with your own little fantasy adventures in your head and stuff like that. So it's, it's a nice, it's a nice sweet show. And where is that available? It's available right now on Netflix and the new season should be starting up. Uh, I know they're still working on it. So hopefully by the end of 2020, although they have a lot of production in China, so that might be next year. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, cool. How about you, Josh? What is, uh, what's something that you've been catching up with during the quarantine so I will admit I've got a few major blind spots when it comes to pop culture that some people will consider unforgivable, but I'm just going to own them here. I'm going to take this to safe <laughs> space. Um, shows like The Good Place, The Office, um, Friends. I am not big on sitcoms. I You never saw Friends? Uh, no. You're, you're not. Oh, can, can I? So, Josh, I'll take all the heat for you. You're not. Oh, thank you. You're not missing much with friends. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> I it's don't. I. It's. I don't get why. I just don't get it. The obsession I know people have with friends. I just don't get it. It's just. just I mean, me. it's. It's not my favorite show, but I have watched every episode. So I mean, I mean I've, most of. I've watched most. Mo, like the last time I probably watched an episode, I was maybe twelve years old. So uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say of the three. The Office to me is that's I would go with that one first. That's me. But although the good oh, places, oh see, I can't the, get the good places. The, I've tried, I've tried to watch The Office so many times, and I just can't get through it. I just, it's, like, it's it's not easy. It just well, it's a time yeah. capsule to a time that I'm happy to be away from, uh, in my opinion. But anyway, Josh, continue. I interrupted you. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so, in that vein, but not any of those, I started watching Parks and Recreation. Oh, um, is, I haven't watched yeah. all of it, but I like what I've seen. I so it was never a series that was really on my radar. I had friends who'd mention it, who loved it, who would quote Ron Swanson constantly, and <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, but the other day, my fiance and I just finished um, the last series we were watching, and you know things getting heavy, needed something um, more uplifting to watch, and so we started Parks and Rec, and it is. So good. I am oh, so yeah. glad that we decided to watch it. It is such a good breath of fresh air after looking at the news and oh, going yeah. to work and you're like, why, why am I going on still? And then just seeing the antics of Pawnee, Indiana, just immediately just is so calming and relaxing and silly. Um, I cannot thank my partner enough for recommending it because it has been something that has been saving my sanity the last week. That's great. I love that oh, show. So it's good. like one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. I'm very excited that you're watching it. Uh, and a fun thing, if anybody wants to take up that recommendation, uh, something to know is that the first season is a very short, I think it's like six episodes and it is not indicative of what the series will become. No, it's true. almost, because basically what happened was when that show was originally developed, it was developed as a, as a spinoff to The Office. And they, at the last minute, decided to not make it a direct spinoff, but they kept a similar tone and a similar quality. 
And uh, that has a very kind of sarcastic, kind of a little bit mean-spirited, but like with love sort of tone to it. Uh, and they realized pretty early on that it just didn't work for Amy Poehler. It was not like making Amy Poehler be the butt of the jokes was just not really, it just felt kind of mean in a way that it didn't for uh, for Steve Carell over on The Office. <laughs> um, and so they decided, so they, luckily they only had, they had a short season because Amy Poehler was pregnant at the time. Uh, and so over, over that off season, they kind of retooled the show and decided that uh, all, like things we're going to be crazy and ridiculous and we're definitely going to make fun of people, but we're going to do it with love. And uh, everybody's going to root for Amy Poehler's character. And like all of the characters are going to like her and respect her, even as she's a little bit crazy um, and every, and the whole world is a little bit crazy. And that, that choice to, to shift from making Amy Poehler the butt of the joke to being the person who everybody respects the most really transformed the show and it turned it into such a loving and heartfelt series with just so much like warmth and and just like it's there's it's very silly and very funny but it just there's a lot of heart to it also and you really you really grow to love those characters uh yes and i think that that works so well so what i would say is honestly if people are going to follow your advice and binge it i would honestly say skip the first season altogether and just jump into season two and uh go from there because from that point on you're getting a much clearer sense of what that show is uh which is great which yeah, great, that yeah. is fair i would say it does have saying it has heart is such a great way of describing it because there's all the characters are goofy and even though sometimes they will do things kind of mean-spirited like you said kind of in the vein of the office um you never get the sense that they're vindictive or hateful um it's there's a lightness to it so even when you have someone like uh aziz anzari's character tom like being really sleazy then you find out oh well he's actually got a good heart um yes. or like you hear ron, ron swanson um talking about how terrible his ex-wife is and then you meet his ex-wife you're like oh, okay now i understand um, <laughs> and, and then just doofy chris pratt is a joy to watch yeah, as always. that's that's really the best Chris Pratt's ever going to be is mm. as Andy on Parks and Rec. Oh, it's so funny. It's like I've never f- watched the whole thing in, in its entirety, but I can jump into that show if it's on. There's certain channels that will rerun it and I'll just sit there and watch a couple episodes and just I'll just feel happy after watching it. I'm like, oh, man, I just like, I don't even know the storyline. Like, I don't know the whole arc and it, I don't need to because it's just such a. Like I said, it's such a heartfelt but also truly funny show. Yes. And so speaking of heartfelt and warm and just such a nice uplifting thing to watch, um, the show that I binged after a long time of putting off is a show called Broadchurch, which for those of you who don't know is a <laughs> series about a small British town uh, where an 11-year-old boy is murdered and everyone's a suspect. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, and, as soon uh, as you said the name, I'm just like, oh boy. <laughs> You're yeah. killing me, Alex. You're killing me. I, listen, this is where my head's been the last week or so. <laughs> I have not been able to come to the light yet. Uh, but so I've been dwelling in the darkness and uh, in the darkness, I've found how really great Broadchurch is. Like, I mean, everyone said it like literally five years ago and I put it on my list and I was like, I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm definitely going to watch it. But, you know, it is a little hard to get up for watching a show about a child murder. Um, so <laughs> it was, I always put it off and I never, I never got around to it. And I'm like, look, if I'm going to watch it, I'm going to watch it now. And so I did. And uh, the first season is just 
a very well-crafted series. I think it's maybe a little bit not as strong as its reputation, but then again, I mean, I have like the, it aired originally in 2013. So we're talking about, you know, six years, seven years of, of buildup. So that might be a little bit on me as well. Um, but it is a really great series that kind of tackles the loss of a child in a really intimate and profound way. Uh, they, they really, that it's a family, a mom, a dad, and, uh, an older sister and a grandma, and they're just really, really struggling with uh, with the grief of losing a child, especially in such a violent and unexpected way. Um, and I think the show really takes the time to to care about that and and to give it justice. The mom on that on that uh, show is um, Jodie Whittaker, who uh, a lot of our fans from our a lot of readers from our website would know as the new Doctor Who. Um, and, and this the reason this for series, that is, yeah, you're the reason say. for that is that this series is created uh, by the same person who is writing Doctor Who currently. So um, Chris Chibnall, uh, I believe. Chris right? Ch- uh, Chibnall. Ch- Chibnall, right? Chris Chibnall. So uh, yeah, so Chris Chibnall is took over Doctor Who and gave it to Jodie Whittaker after working with her for three seasons on Broadchurch. Um, other. Other actors that you may know are the two investigators, uh, played by uh, Oscar winner Olivia Coleman, and she is really fantastic on the mm-hmm. show. She just she gives you exactly what you would expect Olivia Coleman to give you, which is this kind of just like really warm and open and caring and just kind of. Uh, the opposite of unflappable, if you will. <laughs> but you just really root for her and you want her to be right, even though you know that she's often not because she's giving people the benefit of the doubt in a way that she shouldn't. Um, and the person who's telling her she shouldn't is uh, her boss and fellow in- uh, investigator, uh, played by David Tennant, who is, uh, of course, probably the most famous of the doctors uh, from Doctor Who. <laughs> and Scrooge um, McDuck. Yes, and they just, they have this great kind of, they have like perfect chemistry for being investigators and and uh, working a case like this. And what's really interesting about the first season is that it's set in this really small um, beach town in England. And like, you really get the sense that this is a community that really feels for what's happening and uh, and also has a lot underneath the surface that you wouldn't necessarily expect. It's very like it has a bit of David Lynch in it in that way. Um, although not quite as surreal. Um, and the, the season, the first season ends, you find out who did it. It's pretty, it's incredibly upsetting and, and really you feel like, okay, that's it. And then they decided two years later to come back and do a second season. And everybody was like, why are you doing a second season? The first season was perfect and doesn't need a second one. Uh, and instead they decided to do the second season and it's sort of built around the, in, well, there's two parts to the second season that are running uh, parallel. Uh, the first half is the court case, the trial of the murderer um, and of the little boy and that is extremely, extremely strong. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays an assistant uh, barrister, or AKA attorney, um, who is working the defense. And Charlotte Rampling, who is an incredible, mm-hmm. uh, legendary actress, uh, plays the prosecuting attorney on in the case. And it's just really, really strong and well done. And it's a little bit more theatrical than I think uh, the original season is. But... 
it kind of it works in a way that's very interesting and i think that it comes down in a pretty real way that is upsetting for all sorts of other reasons the second half of that season though which as i said is running parallel is all about david tennant's case that he couldn't solve last time and it's this whole big mess of nonsense and it's very pulpy and it's very everything that the original season wasn't and it's a major failing um and so overall that second season is just not as strong the third season comes back two years later and you're like well why would you need to have another season but that is actually i think maybe its strongest season because it really it continues to talk about like the long-term impacts that this case and this and and this tragedy had on this small town while also being a really interesting uh contemplation on sexual violence and uh misogyny and uh just in this very sort of me too era informed uh situation where the two where david tennant and olivia coleman are investigating uh, someone who appears to be a serial rapist in the in the town and the neighboring villages, um, while you're still also following the original family and what they're dealing with now four years after the original events, and uh, and I think that is much more grounded and much stronger overall. Like to the point where I think honestly you could probably skip season two and just jump straight from season one to season three and and have it feel very earned. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm very glad that I finally got around to watching it, and I do recommend going past the first season and giving the rest a chance. Uh, but it is super, super depressing. <laughs> Have you, and you guys know that uh, it, there was an American remake of yes, Broadchurch called, called Grace Gr- Point, which I reviewed the premiere, and it was not good. Um, <laughs> that was with David Tennant, Anna Gunn, uh, you also had Michael Pena, Nick Nolte, Jackie Weaver, Josh Hamilton. Uh, so very star-studded uh, cast. It was a 10-episode run on Fox, and I cannot recommend that one. That was... Yeah, I think that was just an issue. I remember I watched the first episode of that as well and was like, nah, I'm just going to wait and watch the original. Um, <laughs> and then I didn't for a number of years. But yeah, I would definitely say don't follow that. That's pretty much like a... a it's almost like a scene by scene remake of yes. the original, and yet there's so much that's lost in translation. Absolutely, uh, bizarrely, absolutely because is. it doesn't seem like there should be. Like it seems like there's. Why would that be so hard to translate? But it was unfortunately so because that is a really good cast. But this cast is good too. There's uh, if other if you're a Doctor Who fan, Rory pops up. He's the priest, uh, the vicar, I should say, yeah. uh, over across all three seasons, and he's he gets a lot of work to do. Um, Eve he's, Miles he's from Torchwood is in season two. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I I saw season one, most of the season one. It that is a very good show. It's a very good yeah. show. Um, I just never had any interest in carry on to season two myself. Yeah, I would say honestly, season two is. It's you could probably skip season two and just, as I said, go to season three and have it be uh, have it feel worthwhile um, because season three is is as good. Uh, if not better than season one, honestly, because I think season one has a few too many, for me, a few too many indulgences and two sort of tropes around the genre that I feel like it could have done without. Whereas season three really, really takes things seriously in a more grounded way, um, where it feels less written and more real. So, yeah, so that's what uh, that's what I've been binging. Um, glad that I want I want to I want I, I want you to I want you to watch happy stuff. 
next month. I, well, you know what? Yeah. Um, right now I'm watching The Good Fight for the first time, and that's been pretty fun. That's a little bit more uplifting. Is, uh, is, that's is. The Good Wife spinoff. Um, currently in season two, uh, there's like this been this mass killing of lawyers that because all the lawyers are <laughs> oh my God. So, so uplifting. It's a little bit <laughs> it's <got> a little <laughs> dark. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, after that, I'm, I'm going to watch Schitt's Creek for the first time. And that I is, have not seen is, that yet. That's going to uplift me. So I, I got duck, I got duck season three coming two weeks. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Bill well, gets it. I love it. So, so on the topic of binging and things like that, uh, it's time for our, our monthly segment on the streaming wars. And so last month, if I remember, uh, Josh got <laughs> the short end of the stick, uh, by having to go last. So I'm going to go with you first <laughs> this time, Josh. Uh, in this month where streaming services became uh, an essential service, as far as the official terminology goes, uh, cool. which which one fared the best? I think, I mean, you could say they all kind of won because they're all getting a lot of eyes right now because everyone needs something to watch. The one... See, I'm not even sure if I have a winner as much as a loser, because um, I think Netflix took a big hit, um, because in Europe they had to reduce their video bit rates uh, because there were so many people watching. So it's like a good <laughs> thing and a bad thing, but at the same time. Um, it's, it's a real monkey paw scenario for them over there. Yeah, so <laughs> just reducing the quality of their videos is not exactly what you want from a streaming service even if it means more people are watching. So I think Netflix might squeak out as my loser of the month. If I had to pick one winner, I would go for probably Disney Plus again, just because they pulled off a very um, appreciated move of having Frozen 2 released earlier and saving a lot of parents uh, the trouble of figuring out how to entertain their kids while schools were canceled. So, yeah, uh, as a parent, yes. <laughs> yes. So I think that even though it's just one move and technically it's not a TV move, but having Frozen 2 come out earlier than expected was a huge um, plus for Disney Plus. And wow, that was very intended. Um, but just okay, Gene Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. But just it, they we, we talked about how Disney Plus has continually struggled to stay relevant after its initial um, release. And I think. Moves like this show that it's trying its best to find its foothold. And I think that using Frozen 2 as a way of letting parents know that we're there for you is a really considerate and heartfelt move. So I'm going to give my my win to Disney+. And then Onward, yeah. Onward will be up, up there in um, two weeks. Yes, yes, two weeks, yeah. And that's I was gonna I was gonna jump on about that as well. I think I agree with you. I think the Disney Plus won the month. I think uh, again, it's not specifically TV related, but I think the fact that they're that they're uh, getting all of the eyeballs and attention because they got they released Frozen two early, which I don't know if it was entirely out of the warmness of their hearts, Josh. Well, but that's a nice way of thinking about it. I'm an optimist. <laughs> uh, and well, uh, I can and, tell you, you know, it wasn't from. Having, it wasn't from the lack of physical sales because I remember going into Target and the whole Frozen 2 stanchion where they had like the week before was packed, was barren of, of Frozen 2 DVDs. <laughs> like It was like a toilet paper aisle over there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs>
But uh, yeah, I mean, sure, they definitely were selling out and I'm sure they were doing pretty well on VOD, but they want to keep people engaged on their streaming service. That's the the keys to the future for them. So I think it makes I think that it was a big choice for them to do that to get more publicity. I mean, everybody's talking about Disney Plus and how it's like the go to place for for families now because of this Frozen 2 news. And then also, as you said, Onward is going to be there in two weeks, which uh, would be like a month after it was released in theaters, which is pretty unprecedented. That's wild. Yeah. So, and that was a movie that significantly struggled at the box office, really underperformed what a typical Pixar release would be, likely because of all of the coronavirus uh, scares. Like, even before everything got shut down, a lot of families were not too enthusiastic about bringing their kids to sit in a movie theater. No. I mean, no disrespect to movie theaters, but they're not the cleanest places in the world. And they are filled with strangers and you are sitting in a room for two hours with them, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I could totally understand why people wouldn't be showing up in droves. So I think that Disney Plus getting these this like premium content that everybody wants to see like so soon after it was released is definitely uh, trumping anything else that's out there right now. But Josh, uh, but uh, Bill, what do you think? Well, I would have gone with Disney Plus because, you know, I have personally benefited off of Frozen 2. I did have a Frozen 2 <laughs> dance party on Friday night. Uh, <laughs> hey, man. Very nice. Uh, and uh, they all, you know, of course, Disney Plus with the big news, The Mandalorian, which we mentioned before. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm going to go a little different route, and I'm going to go with Amazon Prime. Uh, oh, because okay. of all the movies now being, non-Disney movies, being shuffled out from theaters to VOD, Emma, Invisible Man, Rise of Skywalker releasing early, um, I'm going to go with Amazon Prime because you could stream those movies on Prime. They are going to cost you money, but they would have cost you money anyway, no matter where you're getting it. So you could easily at the touch at the snap of your fingers get those movies this weekend, you know, for what would it would have cost for you and a, a wife, husband, partner, friend to parent relative to go see the movie. And less than really. Like it's yeah. it's twenty it's twenty dollars. So yeah. and those in will drop most places that's like roughly equivalent to like just yeah. under two tickets, and, right. and and so so those that's my winner because right now so many people I heard saying who I know have cord cut are like I'm going there to rent I'm definitely going to rent these movies that's where I'm going to go get it, um, so I think Amazon Prime big winner because you know they also had Hunters that was their big profile show you're still seeing a lot of people talking about it still seeing a lot of advertising for it, um, and uh, like those movies being out and, and Rise of Skywalker included. So you're, you have a bunch of big movies that are on VOD that you could easily get through Prime if you don't have cable services. That's my winner for the month. Yeah. And well, and I think another thing is, is that Prime is what you need if you're getting packages from Amazon delivered to your house in a speedy way. And I think that also has been a, a big, uh, a big attribute for people uh, coming with all of this stuff. People are afraid to go outside, go to stores. They're using their Amazon prime like no other. That's not a TV thing, but that is part of the Amazon prime package. Hey man, if you need an indoor <laughs> trampoline um, delivered, so your daughter stops jumping on a couch all the time, you know, <laughs> sometimes you gotta it's do it. <laughs> it's it's uh it's pretty nuts i saw a commercial uh yesterday for amazon prime and it's just like a guy walking into his house and just like they keep spotlighting all of the different things that amazon prime can do for you and it's just like your entire life basically so yeah it's a little scary um i hope everyone stays healthy in those warehouses because otherwise we got big problems because our right now the only thing functioning in our economy 
are those warehouses. So let's keep everybody healthy. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's a good reason as any to make Amazon Prime the winner. But yeah, me and Josh still say Disney Plus. Uh, if you guys want to decide for yourself, you can reach out to us in the comments or uh, you can uh, tweet at thepopbreak.com or at thepopbreak, right? What's our Twitter at, handle? <laughs> at thepopbreak.com, at all spelled out that, on Twitter. Yes. So you can tweet at us over there for which streamer you think won the week. Uh, but now moving on to our last segment of every month uh, is our new show spotlight. Uh, usually we pick a show that just aired its first episode or two, but this time we picked an episode, uh, a show that's about three weeks into its run, but it is, uh, I think, easily the most buzzy new series that's out right now, and that is Alex Garland's Devs, which is on FX on Hulu. And if that's confusing, uh, you should check out our January episode where we just explained in depth what that means, because uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the important thing is, is it's available on Hulu <laughs> and uh, every every week. And it stars uh, the aforementioned Nick Offerman in a very different role from Ron Swanson, um, as well as Allison Pill um, and a host of others. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's Alex Garland, who, of course, created Ex Machina. And he was screenwriter for Sunshine, a, sh- a movie that is a cult hit um, from a number of years ago. Uh, Annihilation is was his most recent film before this. He is a master of kind of the... Uh, sophisticated sci-fi like the high concept sci-fi art house sci-fi and um i think this devs really uh is a great torchbearer for that for that brand so josh i'm curious uh first how many episodes of the show have you watched so far there's four as we're recording there's four currently available to to watch on hulu I watched the first two. I, I, as you both know, I was only going to watch the first one, but then you two kind of strong armed me into watching the second. Uh, <laughs> you're, which I you're appreciate. welcome. You're welcome. Bro. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I feel like I have a better idea of what the show is now that I watched both. Um, yeah. But I, I feel really conflicted because I really like Ex Machina and I think that Dr. Island's a really um, great creator but I just couldn't get into the show based off the first two episodes. I'm just, something just wasn't sticking with me. So I'm not quite as hot on it as the two of you are. Cool. Okay, that's interesting. Um, Bill, how did you like the show? Did you? I should say I didn't mention the lead actress, who is uh, Sonia Mizuno, who uh, had a small role in Ex Machina and um, was actually the uh, the unnamed alien force in. Um, Annihilation. Annihilation, which uh, you would know because she was not uh, visually able to be seen, not her face anyway, but she does a great dance in both of those movies. I am excited to see when they will give us a dance number uh, in this in this project. It's like Richard Gere uh, with the piano. <laughs> but what did you think about it, Bill? Wow. Um, I really loved it. I was blown away by it. I mean, I've been interested from the trailers. Um, everyone I know who liked Legion... I know not the same creators and everything, but it's like, ooh, like they, they had their spidey senses went off. And I didn't watch Legion, and that's a blind spot on me. Uh, but I went into this kind of like, oh, man, I got to watch this for the podcast. All right, let me just burn through these two episodes. And I am so happy you recommended this show. It is um, – it's just a it's, – it's like – it's crazy good. Like, I, I mean, just the – from a technical aspect, the – 
the set work and like kind of how like you have these rich, massive sets and yet there's such feelings of isolation and loneliness and emptiness and space. And it's so crazy how the cinematography worked that way. And I love this whole, I didn't even techno, not even a techno thriller, but just like kind of like this, almost like this, there's espionage and suspense and drama. And then you've got Nick Offerman, who I thought was just fantastic delivering very plainly and very, but not, but not like talking down to anybody, like what everything we were seeing is. He's explaining everything to you, but to, you know, surrogate characters. And yet you still feel like he's the smartest guy in the room, but he makes you understand everything. And, and I really appreciated that because sometimes shows like this go over my head a bit and I'm just hooked. There's a great mystery here. There's a lot of puzzles that have to be solved, but we're not going into the Westworld realm of going overboard with that. And, um, yeah, I just thought it was pretty suspenseful and, uh, I'm really intrigued to see where this season goes. And, uh, I really love Sonoya Mizuna who played Lily Chan, the, the, um, the, the lead character. I, I just was so intrigued by her. And, um, I'm always happy to see Zach Grenier, who was, uh, Ed Norton's boss in fight club, um, in any movie. I don't know, just something about him. He always it always cracks me up when I see him. So um, yeah, I just really love it, and I highly recommend to anyone who loves. If you love Ex Machina, if you love like Inception, if you love Legion, if you love real mind bender type stuff, like this is definitely the show to um, hook into. Yeah, I described it to one of my friends as uh, surrealist sci-fi of the highest order, and I really think that uh, there's bits and pieces of the show that really live up to that. Um, I I really enjoyed it. I I want to get back to Josh to hear what he didn't like about it or what it didn't what didn't work about it for him. But I I do want to say that I I also really enjoyed it. I think that it's a very dry show. It's a very deliberately paced show, um, and I could see that being alienating to some people. But it was very the 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 deliberate plotting to me just made it seem really confident in a way where I wanted to see where it was headed. Um, and you know, the main actress, as we said, her, like as a protagonist, she is just really, really compelling and you just, you connect with her, or at least I did, I connected with her so quickly and, uh, really wanted, I really felt connected to her place in this sort of mysterious techno like dystopic situation <laughs> um i thought that i also want to say that i think that like the production design is incredible oh. like their mm. their whole tech uh campus is believably uh beautiful and cold and and like filled with glass that is as much a prison as it is an entry point into a new world and i think that is uh something that the show really has a lot on its mind in regards to and just some of the stuff that's going on inside devs which is the sort of secret underground like special section of the of the show or of the company rather uh, is very interesting and what they do with it uh just visually is just really wild like there's the opening of season three which i'm i'm a little disappointed that josh hasn't gotten to see because i'd be curious what his take on it is it's just kind of it's beyond words it's so it's just like it just blew me away where i was just 
in awe of what they were able to achieve with that with that opening scene. Uh, it's kind of nonsense, but it's also kind of beautiful and magical and amazing and all at the same time, which is just exactly what I'm looking for from an Alex Garland property. Um, but yeah, I mean, it also has like a conspiracy element to it, which some people are gonna are gonna really dig into, and other people are are not gonna be on board with. Um, and I, I guess I can understand that. But Josh, what is it that didn't work for you? I think part of it's probably personal preference more than anything. And I, you mentioned the pacing. The pacing was getting to me a bit, uh, just I guess wanting to get through it quicker. And and I, I tend to struggle with slower paced things. So this definitely wasn't helpful for that end. And just looking at where we're all at with world events, I am not really looking for something as dark and intense. And this was like, man, why am I watching such a bummer? (laughs) Alex, what are you doing? Um, So it just, I think those are the big things. Um, And on top of that, uh, yeah, I mean, just the tone of it is very, deliberate and cold in a way that you know after watching parks and rec it's like why is ron swanson suddenly (laughs) the most robotic person i've ever met um and so those things just turn me off from it i can't deny that it's really well made and that the performances are fantastic um the production design is great it's just right now is probably not the best time for me to watch a show like this yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think like Alex Garland does have that quality where his things are, or at least can be very dry and very cold and very deliberately paced in a way that is just ominous. You know, the further into it you get, the more ominous, the more the ominousness builds and builds and builds. And that, I mean, you could just look outside your window for that experience currently. So I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> the only other thing. And I, I hate to say this because like I, said, I really enjoyed Ex Machina is that sometimes this kind of sci-fi strikes me as that one person in your English 101 class in college who comes in quoting uh, James Joyce and wants to be really smart and seems like they know more <laughs> than everyone else. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You just have to agree with them to make sure that you seem smart, too. Yeah. And it's an intimidating <laughs> level of look how cool and intelligent I am. If you like this, that means you're also intelligent. If you don't like it, it just means you're stupid. That's kind of what I was getting from it as well. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. (laughs) Um, I think that for me, I just have a lot of trust in Alex Garland's work to know that like, it's going to have a satisfying payoff. That's not just going to be a bunch of kind of like, you know, like high minded, arrogant nonsense, (laughs) which, but I could definitely see that that would be a concern. Um, and I am a little bit worried that this will be able to stick the landing in the ways that Ex Machina did, or even more so that Annihilation did, which really it had it like Annihilation really had a very similar tone to this and, and really, really like exceeded my expectations on what it would amount to. Um, but yeah, it's I could I get that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's it. This is a very ambitious project that he's doing. So it's a you know so will it will it live up to the hype of the of the trailers or even the first uh, two episodes at least I saw? It's going to be very difficult. Um, and when you get into techno thrillers and stuff that's dealing with alternate realities and you know 
gods and stuff like that. Like sometimes it could just be kind of a hot mess by the end. So, but again, Ex Machina was nice and it was clean. And like, I also didn't realize he wrote The Beach and 28 Days Later. So, um, yes. But yeah, so it's like I, I have a little bit of faith that he's going to do all right. But I can get why, Josh, you're just like, what night am I watching? <laughs> like, <laughs> just like, just give me Chris Pratt and Ross Swanson eating bacon. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it, man. This is like, and that's what re- t- t- entertainment's going to come down to in the reality we're in more than ever is just like, we're just going to find what what makes us happy because it's just like there's certain things that we would have been able to watch outside of this situation that just we don't have. And, and it's not a knock on anyone. Please don't ever take this this way. It's just like we just don't have the stomach for it right now. Yeah. yeah, I could get that. But then at the same time, like in episode three, one of the characters has a bit of a breakdown and ends up on a ledge on a very high building. And I kind of really felt that. So <laughs> it, it can be cathartic also. <laughs> In that moment, she was me. Um, <laughs> like, this is too much. We, I just need to be outside and away from all this crazy stuff. Like, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. That's what's called stress but, eating for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Josh, are you going to? It sounds like no. It sounds like, re- at least for now, you're not going to pick this back up. Is I get it. Correct? I'm going to have to. I need to take a pause on it. I'm willing to come back to it later. Especially if I hear good word of mouth on the finale and the rest of the season, but for now, I'm I'm gonna plug into Parks and Rec and get my my heartwarming <laughs> television on. Yeah, that's yeah. Sometimes you need listen. Sometimes you need a warm hug, and sometimes you need to just dwell in the darkness. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Bill, how about which? What about you? Do you uh, need the warm hug, or are you gonna dwell in the darkness? Oh Jesus! <laughs> I always I, I constantly need a hug. My life is 2020 has just been an utter shit show for me. Uh, but it's uh, no, I'm going to I'm all in on the show as more as I like I've said that on all the other stuff we've done. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I'll continue it. And I didn't really continue on uh, High Fidelity. I mean, I did continue oh. on the ice. I, and, and that's not just be, that's just because of life. Uh, but like this show has me way more hooked into. I feel like I can escape more into devs than I can. <laughs> right now with uh, like a high fidelity like i can immerse myself more into this puzzle and I, and that's kind of what i want i want something that's like gonna take me like why you guys know i watch wrestling so much is like i could just like unplug and get into that whereas like why i'm streaming hilda is because it's just like it's fantasy it's adventure and i can do that and this is like i have to put my pour my whole mind into it and i'm not thinking about the outside world so that's why i will definitely be more into watching this finishing this like in real time than like say high fidelity cool all right and i'm gonna definitely keep watching i'm i'm an episode ahead of you guys but an episode behind on the overall season just because i've been trying to bang out all these binges uh but yeah i definitely am going to try to keep up with it because it i think that it is it's very immersive and it's uh very evocative and and i'm very interested to see where it's going but also i just want to spend more time with the main character because i just find her really compelling uh and interesting and unlike uh other characters that i've seen especially in this sort of kind of techno thriller setting so very excited about that um but okay that's gonna do it for us this week uh, or this month rather on tv talk uh bill where can we find more of your work out there 
Oh, well, so if you really want to follow me on Twitter where it's just literally all wrestling talk, it's at Bodkin Writes. Uh, I just started a new podcast with our managing editor, Al Manorino. It's called Socially Distance, where we just talk. It's basically we just take our Facebook instant messages and turn it into a podcast where we're talking about you know, stuff for binging and music, like the soundtrack, like music, music recommendations, you know, talking certain news stories and stuff like that. Our first episode is going to drop real soon. We talked about Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers. We talked about um, the Mandalorian. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost doing a, a PSA recently. So, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, we're going to be doing that every week and you can find people from the pop break on it. Um, but most importantly, check out thepopbreak.com every single day. You know, the past few, you know, past week or so, we've been kind of regrouping, uh, making sure everyone is settled and safe and everyone's got a lot of stress on their minds. So content on pop breaks, just, you know, we're slowing down just a little bit, but we'll be ramping back up shortly. Uh, we're on Facebook forward slash popbreak.com all spelled out at popbreak.com all spelled out on Facebook and at the popbreak on Instagram. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. I'm very interested in that podcast. Uh, Don't you worry, my friend. Jump on both there. Of, both for of you one of will be. <laughs> both of you will be cordially invited. Okay. Oh, looking forward uh, to hearing it. Yeah, Josh. How about you? Where can we find you out there? Are you working on anything for the site right now? Well, if you go to the Pop Break, you can find my latest couch potato article in which I compare Jurassic World and Westworld in or Jurassic Park and Westworld inside, which is the better theme park. Um, spoiler, you will probably want to get health insurance for either one because oh, <laughs> it's not exactly the safest uh, vacation to go on. Uh, but that's the latest thing I have for the site. And that was a lot of fun to write. So um, I hope people enjoy that. Um, in theory, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Renecki. Uh, but in practice, I gave up Twitter and all social media for Lent. So don't expect much on there right now even more than before uh but definitely check out the pop break for my latest writing uh and also that was cut, a good choice probably <laughs> to do that like very good timing on your part <laughs> uh definitely catch up on westworld so you can help me out with the weekly reviews because that's also what else i'm doing i'm doing weekly reviews of westworld uh and I'm i'll do what i can definitely gonna need help at some point <laughs> yes <laughs> um i can i can help you with that too because i'm watching that weekly um, but as for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings and also on the uh, film social networking site called Letterboxd at Media Thinkings as well, where you can see all of the latest films that I've been watching. And there's lots of fun lists and things like that. Uh, if you're interested in my film takes, you could also listen to my film podcast called Cinema Joe's, where uh, you, we talk about a recent release and uh, a larger topic every week. The next few weeks or months might be a little tough since uh, no movies are in theaters, but uh, we are still going to be putting out episodes almost every week. So check that out on Anchor and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the usual places. Um, and as for my work on the site, as I said, I'm going to be writing about uh, the plot against America when that finale wraps up. And also I might be writing about Westworld, Bill. So <laughs> let me know. <Hey>. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, yeah. And I guess a lot of movies are going to be coming to Netflix now. So because yeah. uh, Lovebirds just moved there and we'll see what else. Supposedly Wonder Woman's going to go to HBO Max. <laughs> Oh, I don't believe oh. that. I don't either, but that's... There's uh, way too much money that they would be uh, giving up for that, but... 
We'll see. There's, yeah, stay clear of the internet rumors. Try to find a trusted source for these things. There's a lot of bad information out there right now because everyone's sitting around at home and has nothing else to do but write about nonsense. So uh, check your sources and stay safe and stay inside if you don't have to leave your house, people. That's uh, my number one thing. Uh, And if you do have to leave your house, wash your hands. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month, hopefully, if we survive. We will. Don't worry. (laughs) Bye.